and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. Normally, I'm your co-host, Mike, but I am once again hosting on my own today. So first off, I want to address the fact that we didn't release a Week 10 review podcast. I am sorry for that. John and I recorded a podcast on Sunday night, but in minute 70, we had a technical glitch and lost everything. So that is why there was no Week 10 review pod. The good news is John will be back for the Week 11 review pod this Sunday. So you can look forward to that. Uh, In the meantime, you've got me. And I am excited to preview the Week 11 slate of Big Ten games. So let's get right into it. First off, we've got a banger. It is number three, nine and zero Michigan, visiting number ten, eight and one Penn State. This is an eleven a.m. game on Fox. Line is Michigan negative four and a half. Total yards: Michigan averages four hundred twenty-four to PSU's three ninety-four. Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy has 2,134 yards on 76% completions for the season, 10.4 yards per attempt, 18 TDs, and just three picks. Running back Blake Corum has 649 yards on 5.2 yards per rush and 16 TDs. And wide receiver Roman Wilson has 589 yards receiving on 16.4 yards per catch and 10 TDs. Wide receiver Cornelius Johnson and tight end Colston Loveland have also put up more than 400 yards receiving a piece. On defense, DN Josiah Stewart leads the team with four and a half sacks. For Penn State, QB Drew Aller has 1,895 yards on 63% completion, 6.6 yards per attempt, 20 TDs, and just one interception. Pretty impressive stuff with the one pick only. Running back Katron Allen leads Penn State with 573 yards on 4.8 yards per rush with four touchdowns. Nick Singleton also has 480 yards on four yards per rush. Allen has been more efficient than Singleton in his carries. Keandre Lambert-Smith is the star at wide receiver for Penn State with 645 yards receiving on 12.6 yards per catch and four TDs. Penn State really needs Dante Cephas to continue to step up and be that second option at wide receiver, in my opinion. And tight ends Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren also contribute in the passing game. For Michigan, Michigan's offense has been unstoppable this year, both on the ground and through the air. Michigan used to be kind of a ground and pound team, but this year the passing game has been absolutely elite and J.J. McCarthy is playing you know, at a, at a really high level as well as anybody in the country. Uh, Michigan hasn't been pushed in a game all year. So this weekend against Penn State, we will find out a lot about the Michigan Wolverines. Penn State, of course, has a great home field advantage. It's an incredibly loud atmosphere. The Nittany Lions also are a really good team. Penn State has to find a way to rush the passer in this game. If McCarthy has too much time, he will pick you apart. The Wolverines have great receivers in Wilson, Johnson, and the tight end, Loveland. Penn State has a fantastic pass rush, and they lead the Big Ten in sacks. Adisa Isaac is fierce rushing the passer, so I think he's going to be a factor in this one. And Michigan has an awesome O-line, so it'll be interesting to see who wins up front with that vaunted Michigan O-line versus... Uh, this Penn State front that's leading the Big Ten in sacks. A big question for me is about Penn State star defensive lineman Chop Robinson 
and is he going to be healthy enough to play? That would make a big difference for Penn State if he can play. Um, I think he is a, he's kind of a one-man wrecking crew when he gets going. Penn State struggled to move the ball consistently against Ohio State. Can they fix that against Michigan? Or will they struggle up front like they did against the Buckeyes? Drew Aller's a great QB, but against OSU, he was flustered with the Buckeye pass rush. Will he struggle similarly with Michigan? I think that goes a long way towards deciding who wins this game. Uh, Penn State got away from the running game versus Ohio State, which I think was a big mistake on James Franklin's part. Um, the run game was working. Penn State needs to run the ball well enough to keep the Michigan defense honest. Otherwise, they're going to tee off, and that Michigan pass rush is just going to wreck you. So Penn State has to run the ball, I think, if they're going to have a chance in this game. Um. Michigan, for their part, has been strong everywhere, but they haven't played anyone of Penn State's caliber. So now what do they look like matching up against someone who's in, you know, kind of batting in the same class um, weapons wise? I think ultimately that as good as Penn State is, I think Michigan's a little better up front. I think J.J. McCarthy at this point in his development is better than Drew Aller. And I believe that Michigan wins this game. So I've got the Michigan Wolverines 28, the Penn State Nittany Lions 20. All right, moving on to the next game. We have got the three and six Indiana Hoosiers visiting the four and five Illinois Illini. This is an 11 a.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Illinois, negative six and a half. Total yards, IU averages 310 to Illinois' 366. Brandon Sorsby is coming off a couple of his best games of the year for IU in the Penn State and then the Wisconsin Penn State game and then the Wisconsin upset. He was 19 for 31 for 186 yards against Wisconsin with one TD and zero picks. Sorsby will have to continue to play efficiently if IU is going to have a shot at the upset this week. IU has no run game to speak of, but Jalen Lucas is a dynamic player and they will both run and throw the ball to him. Josh Henderson gets a lot of carries, but again, Indiana does not have the kind of offensive line that gets much push in the running game. They do a little better in pass pro, I would say. Um, So they will depend on their passing game and Sorsby to carry them as far as they can. With injuries at wide receiver, the Hoosiers have had to depend on Donovan McCulley, EJ Williams, and Dequeese Carter. For Illinois, QB Luke Altmeyer has 1,883 yards passing on 65% completions, 7 yards per attempt, 13 TDs, and 10 picks. However, he got banged up at the end of the last game. If he can't go, it'll be the backup John Paddock. Running back Caden Fagan has over 400 yards rushing on 4.7 yards per rush and two touchdowns. And Isaiah Williams is the star at wide receiver for um, for Illinois with 700, nearly 700 yards receiving on 11.7 yards per catch and three touchdowns. He's the absolute key to their passing game. 
on D DB Miles Scott has 40 DB Miles Scott has 41 tackles, a pick and three passes defended, so he's having a nice year. Uh both these teams look like they were dead in the water a month ago. Now, both are definitely trending in the right direction. Is Illinois QB Luke Altmeyer healthy? Will he be able to play? Now, he may have been concussed, so it could be the backup, like we said, John Paddock. Um, I think whether or not Altmeyer plays definitely will have an impact on this game. He makes a lot of plays with his legs, as Illinois doesn't always run the ball efficiently. So if he's out, that definitely changes the dynamic of things, although the backup you know, is pretty capable in his own right. Indiana's defense is playing a lot better in recent weeks. The whole squad has improved a lot, but especially on defense, I think. You've seen, you know, better tackling, better rallying to the ball, guys doing better in their drops and in coverage, um, just kind of playing better all over. So you got to give the IU defense a lot of credit for that. And Brendan Sorsby, the quarterback for IU, has been improving a lot, I think, over the past month. We're seeing him grow and turn into a real Big Ten quarterback you know, before our eyes. And it's, it's, uh, it's been an impressive arc for him. And for Illinois, I mean, it just comes down to defensive lineman. Johnny Newton can wreck whole game plans by himself as we've seen, you know, all year. I mean, that guy, whether or not anyone else is playing well, he can single-handedly kind of put the Illini on his, on their, on his back and, you know, make them competitive on that side of the ball. And that's been impressive to see. So I think ultimately this is a close game. I think IU puts up a tough fight. Um, But at the end of the day, I think Illinois is just a little better up front. And I think that that advantage in the trenches and with Johnny Newton going against that Hoosier O-line, I fear that uh, that's going to be an advantage for Illinois. And so I've got the Illinois Illini 21, the Indiana Hoosiers 17. All right, next up, we've got the 5-4 and four Maryland Terrapins visiting Lincoln to take on the 5-4 and four Nebraska Cornhuskers. This is an 11 a.m. game on Peacock. The line is Maryland negative 2.5. Total yards, Maryland averages 398. Uh, Maryland QB Leah Tugavailoa has 2,486 yards on 65% completion, 7.4 yards per attempt, 21 TDs, and 7 picks. Maryland was unable to run the ball at all last week, finishing with negative rushing yardage. So they could really use to get Roman Hemby going this week. That would help a lot against this... um, this tough Nebraska defense. Maryland's receivers are led by Jayshon Jones, Caden Prather, and Ty Felton. The tight end, Corey Deitches, is also a big target for them. And on defense, linebacker Ruben Hippolyte continues to have a big year with 41 tackles and a sack. For Nebraska, QB Heinrich Harburg is coming off one of his worst games of the season, going just 12 for 28 with two picks and two fumbles. Needless to say, The mistakes from Harburg were a big reason Nebraska lost to Sparty on Saturday. At running back, Emmett Johnson leads the way, and Harburg is also a big weapon in the running game. 
However, Harburg ran kind of tentatively last game, and his coaches have said he needs to rediscover his aggression when he's running the ball. So I'll look for that to be a focus on Saturday, and we'll see if, you know, if Harburg lowers his shoulder and gets a little more aggressive um, like he did when he first took over the starting role. That'll that'll be something to monitor for sure. Uh, The tight end for Thomas Fedone. For Nebraska is the most reliable remaining receiver they have, but this, of course, is a run-first team. And on defense, linebacker Luke Reimer has 30 tackles and four sacks. The Nebraska D is good against the run, but at times struggles against the pass. Maryland throws the ball well, but they don't run it very well. So that benefits Maryland in that matchup. However, Maryland has gotten pushed around up front over the past month. So I worry about how they will match up on the line of scrimmage. Um, I'm kind of surprised that Maryland's the favorite in this game after losing four consecutive games. And that just seems strange to me that they're on such a slide. And Nebraska's, you know, did lose last week, but has won more games recently, I guess. so I guess that's just how the matchups kind of come. I think I think a lot of that comes down to what this game is going to come down to, and that's how well Leah Tugavailoa plays. If he can move the ball, it'll be a close game, and Maryland can score points in bunches. But if Leah struggles, this could go Nebraska's way, for sure. Um. Can Maryland slow down this Nebraska run game? That's a big question. Maryland has not held up all the time up front recently. So that's something we have to watch. And will Nebraska turn the ball over a bunch again? You know, Nebraska really had the turnover bug last game, particularly their quarterback. Um, They've got to get that ironed out if they're going to have a chance to win on Saturday. For me, The Nebraska defense is the best unit in this game of the four of the Nebraska D, Nebraska offense, Maryland defense, and Maryland offense. I think the Nebraska defense is the best of those four units. I think Maryland's going to be one-dimensional. I don't think they're, or Nebraska, uh, Maryland's going to be one-dimensional. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball very well. And so Nebraska, I think, is going to be able to tee off on Leah a little bit. I still think Maryland's going to play pretty well. I still think they're going to score some points. But ultimately, I think Nebraska is just going to be too much. Um, I do see some turnovers in this game, and I think there'll be some points that come directly off of turnovers. And that plays into my score total I have here. So I've got Nebraska 28, Maryland 24. Next up, we've got the 6-3 and three Rutgers Scarlet Knights at the number 22, 7-2 Iowa Hawkeyes. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Iowa, negative one and a half. Total yards, Rutgers. um, QB, excuse me. QB Gavin Wimsat for Rutgers is completing just 49% of his passes for 6.1 yards per attempt, eight TDs, and five interceptions. Running back Kyle Manungai continues his big year with 903 yards rushing on 5.4 yards per rush with seven TDs. Christian Dremel and Jaquay Jackson are the top receiving options, but Rutgers is as run-heavy a team as you'll find. 
For Iowa, QB Deacon Hill is completing just 41.6% of his passes for 4.4 yards per attempt, three TDs, and four picks. Running back LaShawn Williams leads the way with 551 yards on five yards per rush and one TD. Hawkeyes don't really have any playmakers left in the passing game after losing Luke Lachey and Eric All to season-ending injuries. Um, But on defense for Iowa, cornerback Cooper DeGene is having a monster year with four passes defended and two picks. On special teams, Torrey Taylor is probably the best uh, punter in the country. And, you know, their kicker is pretty good, too. Uh, For Rutgers, Gavin Wimsatt can really make plays with his legs, and that can really augment the Rutgers running game, as we've seen in some recent games. So my question is, can Rutgers get Kyle Manungai going and Gavin Wimsett going in the running game? Iowa's been a lead against the run. And if Rutgers can't run the ball, they may be forced to pass more than they want to. And when Rutgers has to throw the ball, Gavin Wimsatt is a danger to throw picks. Um, and Iowa's really good at forcing turnovers. So I think that Rutgers is going to want to have a really run heavy attack in this game. I I think you're going to see them throw the ball when they have to, uh, but not, you know, not throw the ball too much more than that. Um, And can Iowa run the ball very well against Rutgers? Cause Rutgers has a very solid defense and Iowa's passing attack is pretty limited. Um, has been pretty poor. So if Rutgers, you know, isn't worried about the passing game and can commit to stopping that Iowa running game, just like I'm guessing Iowa's going to commit to stopping the Rutgers running game. Um, basically, whichever team runs the ball best and wins the turnover battle is going to win this game. So I think this is going to be really hard fought. I think it's going to be a close game and go back and forth. Ultimately, I think Gavin Wimsat is a little too turnover prone. And I think he's going to have a couple turnovers. I think Iowa is going to score points off those turnovers. And ultimately, I've got Iowa 16, Rutgers 13. All right. Next up, we have the Minnesota 5 and 4 Minnesota Golden Gophers are visiting West Lafayette to take on the 2 and 7 Purdue Boilermakers. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on NBC. Line is Purdue, negative one. Total yards, Minnesota 309 to Purdue's 340. For Minnesota, QB Ethan Kaliak Manis is completing 54% of his passes on 6.3 yards per attempt, 10 TDs, and 7 picks. He's coming off a game where he was pretty good, but much better in the first half than in the second half uh, when he missed at one point an easy five-yard throw that would have sealed the game. So Ethan tends to get tight in big moments late in the game, and he's going to have to improve on that for the Gophers to have late-season success. So Ethan's got to find a way to do in the second half, in the fourth quarter especially, what he does in the first half. And if he can figure that out... Um, then I think he's going to have a lot more success in the win-loss column. Gopher running backs have all been hurt. So lately it's been Jordan Newbin leading the way as everybody in front of him is hurt or has been hurt. 
Zach Evans just got back from injury, but didn't quite look like himself. Um, the Gophers just ultimately really need Darius Taylor back. Uh, he was leading, you know, he was, he had a ton of rushing yards when he was playing a lot. And if they could get him back, that would just mean a lot for the running game because he's their most dynamic back. Also, if Zach Evans can get a little more healthier, um, that would help a lot too, to have someone to compliment. Cause right now, you know, Sean Tyler's in the doghouse cause he can't, he keeps fumbling the ball no matter every time he gets the ball. So he, he's become pretty much unplayable. Uh, so the Gophers need somebody to go with Jordan Newbin, whether that's Zach Evans getting a little healthier and looking like himself or Darius Taylor coming back. They need to figure that out. At wide receiver for Minnesota, Daniel Jackson is the top guy with 562 yards receiving on 14.8 yards per catch and seven TDs. On defense, Tyler Newman's having a really solid senior year with four passes defended and four interceptions. For Purdue, QB Hudson Card is completing 58% of his passes for 6.1 yards per attempt, nine TDs, and eight picks. He's under heavy duress most of the time as the O-line is pretty bad. Uh, Devin Mockaby and Tyrone Tracy are the two main running backs. Deion Burks continues to star at wide receiver with 469 yards and six TDs on 14.7 yards per catch. So he's a really dynamic player. Uh, Purdue did a decent job against Michigan last week, stopping the run and forcing the Wolverines to throw probably a little more than maybe they wanted to. Um, but of course, Michigan can do that too. So they still ran pretty rough shot over the Boilermakers, but, but Purdue at least, you know, were able to sell out and, 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 put a dent in the running game anyway. The Boilermakers like to play man defense and load the box to stop the run. Uh, for Minnesota, they prefer to throw against man defense as Ethan can get confused about his reads against zone coverage. So I think for Minnesota, it bodes well that Purdue plays a lot of man. Um, and Daniel Jackson has to be the guy who takes advantage of man coverage and gets open and makes plays. Purdue will try to get on the edge and test the Gophers, and Minnesota has blown a few coverages on perimeter stuff where teams have been able to, you know, take a ticky-tack play and and break it for big yards around the edge. So whether can Purdue can make any hay throwing to their backs could be something to watch in this game. Will the Gopher defense be consistent? Will they be the defense that they are 90% and 95% of the time, or are they going to be the defense they are in the late game implosions against Purdue and against Northwestern. That's the big question is what D do we get and are they consistent or not? And if I, if you could tell me that, then I would, you know, I'm not a gambler myself, but I would, I would probably become one if you could tell me whether the go for D is going to be consistent in this game or not. And then ultimately for Purdue, will Dion Burks have a big day? If so, that's an advantage Purdue. Um, I think this will be a hard fought game. I think, you know, Purdue is at home. I do think the Boilermakers can do some things offensively. Um, ultimately, I think Minnesota is better on the line of scrimmage than Purdue is. And I think we'll be able to make, I think Hudson Card, Minnesota's D-line has been playing pretty well lately. And I think they're going to have Hudson Card kind of running for his life a little bit after. I predict Purdue scores some early points. Um, but after some early points, I think Minnesota adjusts and then it becomes a little tougher sledding. 
So I've got the Minnesota Golden Gophers 28, the Purdue Boilermakers 20. All right, next game. We have the four and five Northwestern Wildcats at the five and four Wisconsin Badgers. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on FS1. The line is Wisconsin, negative 11. Total yards, Northwestern has 292 averages to Wisconsin's 376. With starting QB Ben Bryant out with an injury, Northwestern backup Brandon Sullivan has come on really strong of late, completing 64% of his passes for 7.2 yards per attempt, six TDs, and two picks. Uh, That's good because Northwestern has no running game to speak of, even though Cam Porter is a decent back. Kurtz, Johnson, and Jitterbug, A.J. Henning are the top receivers for Northwestern. And Bryce Gallagher is a solid player at linebacker for the Cats. For Wisconsin, backup QB Braden Locke is completing 50% of his passes for 5.1 yards per attempt, 5 TDs, and 1 pick. Top running back Braylon Allen has been banged up, which hurts Wisconsin a lot as he's been a, as he is a star. Um, and their backups are not as dynamic as he is. Will Pauling and Bryson Green are the top receiving options for the Badgers. And Hunter Waller is a star at safety. So my question is, what does the Badger running game look like? If Braylon Allen plays and or the running game gets going, it could be a long day for the Cats. Can Northwestern exploit this Wisconsin secondary? Northwestern doesn't run the ball. Wisconsin's D has been pretty average. Can the Cats take advantage? Um, I think both things are true to some extent. I think that whether or not Braylon Allen plays, I think the running game is going to get back on track against Northwestern. Um, I think the backups are good enough. They're serviceable, even if they aren't, you know, the dynamic players that Al- player that Allen is. So I think Wisconsin will make some hay, but I also think Northwestern can, you know, get to this Wisconsin secondary a little bit. I think that they can make some plays in the passing game and score some points here. So. Ultimately, I have got the Wisconsin Badgers 24, the Northwestern Wildcats 17. All right. Last up, we've got the three and six Michigan State Spartans at the number one nine and oh Ohio State Buckeyes. This is a 6.30 p.m. game on NBC. The line is Ohio State, negative 31 and a half. Total yards, Sparty's averaging 319 to OSU's 418. The Buckeyes have a prolific offense, as everyone knows. Um, quarterback Caden Hauser for Sparty is completing 59% of his passes for 6.2 yards per attempt, three TDs and two picks. And for Michigan State, Nathan Carter is the bell cow at running back with 659 yards on 4.2 yards per rush and four TDs. Wide receivers Montori Foster, Trey Mosley, and tight end Malik Carr are the top targets. And Simeon Barrow is a stud on the defensive line. For OSU, quarterback Kyle McCord has 2,352 yards on 65% completions for 9.2 yards per attempt. 17 TDs and just four interceptions. So a pretty impressive stat line. 
Still, as good as he's been, there has been a lot of criticism of McCord, and I think there's been too much. I think Kyle McCord's a really good player and gets a lot more criticism than he deserves. Um, but some of the criticism is understandable as there has been room for improvement from him in some key situations. That said, I think a lot of teams would be really happy to have Kyle McCord as their quarterback and Buckeye fans should feel pretty fortunate to have Kyle McCord as their quarterback. That's my opinion on the matter. Travion Henderson has been the guy at running back since he got healthy again with 585 yards on a gaudy 6.5 yards per rush and seven TDs. Dude is a weapon as a runner and as a receiver going over 200 yards from scrimmage last game. At wide receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr. is quite simply the best wide receiver in the country for Ohio State with over 900 yards receiving on an unreal 17.6 yards per catch and 10 touchdowns. Marvin Harrison Jr. is not just the best wide receiver in the Big Ten. Like I said, he's the best wide receiver in the country. Not only is he the best wide receiver in the country, I believe he's the best player in the country. And I think he is worthy of being a Heisman Trophy finalist at the very least. That is my opinion on Marvin Harrison. On defense, I know I'm really breaking news. Marvin Harrison's good, guys. Get get excited. But, you know, we got we to gotta say what's true. Um, on defense, safety Josh Proctor is having a big year for the Buckeyes with seven passes defended and one interception. When I'm analyzing this game, it comes down to the fact, to this fact. Ohio State's the number one team in the country for a reason. They have arguably the best defense in the conference. They have elite playmakers like Marvin Harrison and Travion Henderson. So for Michigan State, maybe Simeon Barrow and that Sparty D-line can compete for a while and make this interesting. But I just don't think the back four for Michigan State is good enough to contain these receivers for very long. And I also think once Travion Henderson gets on the edge, you know, you might stop him for a while, but eventually he's going to get on the edge and he's going to burn you. So I say the Buckeyes come out focused and show why they're the number one ranked team in the land. A lot of people are saying Ohio State doesn't deserve to be number one. A lot of people say Georgia deserves to be number one and that Ohio State and that Michigan should be two and that Ohio State should be as low as three. So I think the Buckeyes have heard the doubters. I think they're motivated by them, kind of like how you've seen Michigan really motivated. And I think that's the difference. So I've got the Ohio State Buckeyes 49, the Michigan State Spartans 6. All right. That will do it. So thank you so much for listening and rocking with me. It was kind of a quick podcast today, but I'm excited to watch all these games this weekend. I know you are too, and I will be even more excited to come back with John to review these games on Sunday. So look for us um, later in the day on Sunday to put out a pod with both hosts present. All right, but this was a lot of fun. So thanks for rocking with me and have a great day.